This show is brought to you in part by the University of Advancing Technology. UAT is a unique technology-infused private college that was founded by a geek for other geeks. Our mission is to educate students in the fields of advancing technology to become innovators of the future. UAT's campus culture is devoted to continually nurturing a thriving geek community where everyone's personal lives and professional aspirations revolve around technology. The beginning of the 21st century is an exciting time to be in the technology community. Current subjects of ongoing research and scholarship at UAT include robotics and embedded systems, artificial life programming, information and network security, game development, and other areas of advanced technology. Check them out on the web at www.uat.edu. Shoutcast streaming provided by Versus the World Productions, www.vtwproductions.com. I am Gnomewise. I am Gonora. I am Iolite. I am Daxa. I am Grail. And I am Versus You. I am Versus You. And I am Versus You. I am Versus You. And I'm Versus You. Casually Hardcore, Sundays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. GMT, only on vtwproductions.com. Much better. Now, I know all of you have heard about the zombie-human war that's been going on. Our guest today is the man who wrote the book, not just on how to survive it, but what happens during it. So let's hear it from Max Brooks. Thank you. Uh, uh, for starters, one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Can you five get up and sit down, please? Yeah, I mean, it's stupid for me to sit here in front of these empty chairs, so come on, let's make it look like it's a real panel. Okay, uh, for starters, thank you all for coming. God, there's so many of you. Uh, let's, let's clear the room of people who just want to hear about the movie. Who wants to hear about the movie? Who's here just for that? That's cool. I'm, I'm into that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of things to do, so let's get into the movie first, and then you guys can all go. There's probably a Naruto panel somewhere. Uh, okay, here's what I know. Not much. No, it's true, because people ask me, um, you know, what's happening with the movie and how involved are you? I d d d no. I'm a spectator. You, sir. We're, we're together. Well, oh, you're together. Okay. Well, you left your mate? Well, I'm not leaving. I don't know. You can come. come Here. Yeah, no, come on, both of you. Here. Moderator, would you mind giving up this gentleman with a ponytail? Okay. Hey, it's cool, man. Tune in, turn on, and drop out. Anyway. Um, <laughs> For those of you who don't understand, I wrote a book called World War Z, or if you're Canadian, World War Z. That book has been optioned by a gentleman called Brad Pitt for the movie rights. It's actually no longer optioned. It's now purchased. He owns it. Uh, he is now attempting to make a movie of it. I can tell you that it has a director, Mark Forster, a guy who did Quantum of Solace and The Kite Runner. Good Lord. Kite Runner. It's had uh, two screenwriters, uh, Matt Carnahan and a guy you might have heard of, J. Michael Straczynski. It is apparently starring Brad Pitt. 
And it is apparently casting, uh, from what I've read on Google Alerts. <laughs> from everything I have been told, they seem to have a location scouted. They're making costumes and props. Uh, I will say this, that it's been a long development process. This is what they call you in Hollywood, this is development. And what usually development means in Hollywood is that nothing ever develops. All right, they should call it stagnation. They should say, oh, you have a project? Yes, it's in stagnation. Um, <clears throat> but this one is actually moving, and it's been a very long time. Uh, and when it first started, I have to be honest with you, I, I would have been very surprised if it had gotten made. Because it's just so big. I mean, I, I didn't write it to be made into a movie. I'm an idiot. If I, had, if I was a better businessman, I would have written it smaller. I wrote an epic book. Stupid. Uh, so I thought, well, there's no chance of that happening. So many years ago in 2006, when the movie deal was announced, I would have been very surprised if it got made. And now I will be very surprised if it doesn't. So that hopefully is a benchmark on how close we're going. Uh, I will try and tell you in the future through my website what I know, but like I said, not involved in the process. So that is the update with the movie. Now let's go way back to the people who have no idea who I am. Raise your hand. Who, who are the people who got dragged here? That's all right. Yeah, okay. You, what's your name? Dawn? Okay, Dawn. Where are you from, Dawn? Okay, good. Dawn. Okay, here's the deal. My name is Max Brooks. Thank you. That's, that doesn't warrant applause. Everyone has a name. Um, uh, Dawn, here's the deal. Many years ago, uh, we probably look about the same age, so, so you get it. Sometimes I have to explain to kids about like when I wrote my first book. I have to tell them about the 1990s. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, someone behind you who just nodded. What, what's your name? What? Jordan. Jordan. Okay, Jordan. The 1990s. <laughs> it was a very different time. It was a time when, you know, you know, when the stuff that your parents put in their car that makes it run, that stuff used to be really cheap <laughs> in the 1990s, okay? And there was like no wars. I mean, there was, but there were in places like the Balkans and Rwanda, whatever. Um, they didn't have oil. Anyway, so it was a great time and a peaceful time. And times were so good, the president did dirty things. <laughs> And nobody cared because times were really good. Now, here's the thing, though. There was, there was a dark cloud on the horizon, Jordan, and it was called Y2K. All right? And people got really scared, grown-ups. Like, I'm not talking about, like, the crazos who live in the hills outside this city who, like, want this stuff to happen. Uh, I'm talking about, like, adults with jobs and lives, you know, like, like Dawn, you know, who really panicked and actually went out and bought like bottled water and generators and food and tents and they were ready. I mean people were ready for things to come down and all these survival guides were coming out. Okay Don you're with me here? So these survival guides were right you bought lots of good for you. <laughs> there we go I hope the Chinese aren't watching this. Um, <laughs> So <clears throat> these survival guides were, were all about, you know, 
the end of the world, what to do, what to do when, when the clock stop, strikes 12 and the missiles launch and they land on the banks and all these things would happen, okay? There wasn't one for what scared me. I looked for it. I couldn't find it. It was zombies. I tend to have a thing about zombies. They tend to creep me out, like a lot. I have this weird thing about being torn apart by a mob and eaten. <laughs> I'm crazy that way. Who doesn't? Apparently people in zombie walks. Um, so I went looking for a book on how to survive. Now, Jordan, you know how sometimes when you're watching a movie and there's always like some really nerdy friend of yours that won't let you enjoy the movie because they're always like, well, that would never happen because, and they're always trying to make it realistic. And you're like, oh my God, can I just watch Django Fett for a minute? Well, your friend that won't let you just enjoy the fantasy and has to try to make it all realistic, that friend is me. Because <laughs> when I would watch uh, a zombie movie, I would be like, oh my God, why are you doing that? That's the stupidest thing ever. Here's what you should do. So I went looking for a book. Couldn't find it. Because everyone else was out having a life. <laughs> I did not have that problem. I had two superpowers. One was an obsessive compulsive disorder, and the other one was unemployment. So when those wonder twin powers activated, they came out with a book called The Zombie Survival Guide. Now, I did what most writers do when they write something they're passionate about. They stick it in a drawer because they think no one else will like it. Because obviously, I mean, if I went looking for it and it didn't exist, then who's going to like it? I must be the only one. So stuck in a drawer, went on, uh, and tried to actually have a career. Uh, and then I did. I wrote for a show called Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And... Um, I, I got there, I was like, oh my God, I finally made it, this is great, I'm in New York, I'm going to remember this day forever, September 10th, 2001! <laughs> yes! And I thought afterwards, oh my God, well, <laughs> at least, it's, this is the worst that's ever going to happen, right? I mean, it's not like there's going to be anthrax in our building. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is before you were born, Jordan, it's cool. Just... Now, when I was on SNL, I met a book agent and talking about, have you written anything? Well, I've written a lot. Nothing's been published. Found out about my manuscript, and he said, I can get this published for you. And I said to him, you do that. <laughs> and he did. And I learned a very important lesson. Never challenge Tom Wolfe's book agent to a dare. So... What did I have to do? That's a very good question. Here's what I had to do. I had to accept a label. Now, let me backtrack here. For those of you who've never had a book published or a movie or anything, whenever you do anything creative, uh, it has to go through a filter, and that filter is called marketing. <laughs> All right? And, here's who, and what people in marketing do is they take something new and different and try to make it the same. 
because they think that's the only way people are ever going to want something is if they've already had it. So I had this book. Nobody had ever done anything like that. Nobody was writing about zombies back then. Nobody. So that was weird enough. So to then not only have a book about zombies, but a book that's how to survive one and real. Like I didn't do anything sort of cute and fun. I wanted this thing to be real. I mean, everything down to things like water and food and nutrition and hygiene. If zombies were real, here's how you would really survive them. Just pure nerding out. <laughs> well, that scares people in marketing because it's never been done. So they said, oh, well, oh boy, how are we going to do this? And I'm sure they had a meeting and someone said, I got it. All right. He was on Saturday Night Live and he won an Emmy, which realistically, just between us, me taking credit for winning an Emmy on SNL is kind of like my dad taking credit for winning World War II. <laughs> and I actually think he probably deserves more credit than I do. But they say, oh, he was on SNL, and he won an Emmy. Okay, Ooh. and his dad, it's Mel Brooks, oh my God, he's funny. This book must be funny, and that's how we're going to market it. It's funny. It's humor, and they put it in the humor section. I could not do anything about that. If you want your book published, it's got to be in the humor section. Ah, oh boy. Now, I tried to convince them. I said, listen, you don't, whoa, wait a minute. First of all, I, that was not meant to be funny. I am not that funny. If I was funny, I'd still be on SNL. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a nerd. I wrote this for me, and I don't... And let me explain to you cool people in the world, I said to these people, about us nerds. We tend to get a little bit defensive when we think people are making fun of us. And if I heard that a zombie book was out and it was in the humor section, I would be pretty PO'd because I would think somebody would be just urinating all over something that I'm into. They didn't care. So it went out there. And look on the Amazon page. To this day, I think Publishers Weekly gave me some review, like, fans of Board of the Rings will love this book. I'm like, what the hell Board of the Rings is? And no, they won't. Because also, I knew that anybody expecting a comedy book was going to be really disappointed. And you should read some of the early reviews I got. Oh. The LA Times took out a two-page spread on Zombie Survival Guide, essentially saying it's the least funny book in the world. <laughs> Which I was like, yeah, duh. And then essentially argued that my parents should use birth control. Uh, so I was desperate and I was panicked. I didn't know what to do. I, I, re I had to connect to the people who are like me. So I went to the Mademoiselle of Horror Nerds, Fangoria. And, and I said to them, I begged them, I was like, please, give me some, some interview time. Let me try and convince you that I'm not like Mel Brooks's comedy brat pissing on something that you love. And so bit by bit, I had to sort of build this reputation that, yes, I am actually into this. But, you know, to this day, what did I have to do? To this day, go on Amazon. You know, it's gotten less as the years go on, but every now and then you'll still see somebody like, dude, this is not funny. Max Brooks sucks. And this is another thing for, for future writers. You, you, you have no control over how things will be perceived. It doesn't matter what you do, what, however it gets out there, people are going to perceive it. All right, I recently had somebody got mad at me because I, I wrote uh, 
a graphic adaptation of Zombie Survival Guide. It was called Recorded Attacks. I took the stories in the back and we had them illustrated. We sold it as a graphic novel. Well, someone got mad because he thought a graphic novel meant a novel that was written graphically. <laughs> Somehow that was my fault. <laughs> so, all right, you still with me, Don? Okay, so we're up to book one. Book two, I wanted to write another book because that's what I do, uh, and I want to write another zombie book. Now, the problem is I like to answer my own questions. Zombie Survival Guide. There wasn't one. I wrote it to read it. Same thing with my new one. I love zombie stories, but the problem is all the zombie stories I'd ever come across in every medium were all pretty much the same. They were all like just versions of Dawn of the Dead, which was... Uh, a group of people or a guy or somebody has to get from point A to point B. And there's nothing wrong with that. And some of them do it really well. But I wanted more. Because to me, zombie stories are big. That's the whole point. They're apocalyptic. So I want to know what's going on. Even in any apocalyptic story, I want to know what's happening around the world. Look, I loved Independence Day. I loved the fact that the Fresh Prince and the Fly could get up there... <laughs> And, and take down this whole spacefaring civilization that have conquered spaceflight and can defend themselves against nuclear weapons, but a virus from a primitive MacBook, gone. Love that. Yes, Roland Emmerich. Hooray for positive Germans. Okay. Um, but I wanted to know more. So I thought if I was going to write a zombie book, I want to know what's happening in the rest of the world. But how do you do that? That's going to be a really big book. And I don't have 35 years uh, just to write that. So I thought I needed a template. Now, I had read a real book when I was younger called The Good War by a man named Studs Terkel. He's a real journalist. And he interviewed people who'd been in World War II. And not just Americans. Because, you know, look, we Americans, we all think World War II. First of all, we only think there was one of them. We think it's spelled T-O-O. Um, and we think that World War II was essentially saving Private Ryan. All right, there was a bunch of Americans and they landed in France and then they marched to Berlin and, and that was it. And at some point, Tom Hanks grabbed Matt Damon and said, earn it, and that was World War II. <laughs> and I think recently, because of HBO, we're starting to discover there was a place called the Pacific. I think it was so general, we actually had to call it the Pacific. Um, and at that point, it was like, oh, wow, good, we beat them, thank God. Otherwise, we'd all be driving Japanese cars. Anyway, um... <laughs> I wanted big. Studs Terkel wrote big. And so I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a book about a zombie plague, and I'm going to tell it as interviews from all around the world. It's not just going to be like one sort of alpha male and his group and yay. No, it's going to be politicians, economists. I mean, that sounds weird, but it's like, how do you feed 100 million refugees? Uh, it's going to be people from Russia, China, India, all different cultures, all different walks of life. And so we'll really get sort of a global perspective on a global problem. And I spent many years writing it and really many years researching it. That took more work. And it was called World War Z. Uh, Z. And that's the one I was talking about with the movie. Oh, yes, she asked. I didn't put her up to this. Yes, we are selling it downstairs at the Avatar booth in hardcover, and the autograph is free. Which, I'm sorry, I mean, look, all right, I know I shouldn't say this, but if I were an actor, I get 
charging for an autograph. I get it, because when you're an actor, you're the commodity, all right? You're the product, so people are taking a little piece of you away, so they should charge you for that, all right? But if you bought my book, you already gave me your money. As far as I'm concerned, the transaction is done. Thank you. Yes, what? Yes, money, book. Okay, thank you. You get something to read, my kid goes to college. We're done. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that, that is who I am. I hope that, and I've done other things since then, but I think at this point I'm tired of babbling. I'd rather hear what you guys have to ask, because as much as you came to see me, I came to hear you. So stand up and ask me something. Yes, that's the moderator. All right, so who is going to get over their social anxiety disorder? I can hear her. I was wondering. <laughs> All right. Okay. I am terrified of zombies. I'm really? Why, personally, you are, because mine's very personal. And since you're actually scared of them, I hope yeah. this would be a good question to ask. Okay, here's the thing about zombies. They don't obey the rules of conventional monsters. Now, I don't know about you, but there's, there's a term in psychology called an ego defense mechanism. And basically what that means is an ego defense mechanism is whatever your mind sets up to protect you in stressful situations from going crazy. Yeah. All right? It's like when a doctor opens up a chest to do heart surgery, their ego defense is they go to their training and they go, oh, well, here's the aorta, superior vena cava. Instead of going, ah! <laughs> So that's their ego defense. Yeah. All right? Uh, now, my ego defense when I watch horror films is to always say, well, like, I wouldn't do that. All right? You watch Jaws. Oh, my God, there's a giant shark in the water. Don't go in the frickin' water. <laughs> Not my problem. So that's my ego defense. You know, I always do that whenever there's a tragedy. It's like, you're probably a little too young to remember, especially you, Jordan, there used to be a guy named the Crocodile Hunter. No, I definitely remember the crocodile. All right. Well, he died. Now, when he died, everyone said it was a tragedy. No, he chose that. All right? That was a conscious choice. He, when he was your age, he sat with his college guidance counselor, and he said, you know, I'd like to spend the rest of my life poking dangerous animals with a stick. <laughs> he went to them. He wasn't sitting at home minding his business, like doing his taxes, and then suddenly he was like... Oh, oh, get it, Sheila. And he opened the door and there was a stingray and it jumped on him and stabbed him in the heart. That would be scary. And that's what zombies do. See, every other monster, you got to go find. Every other monster, you make a choice. And when I watch every other horror film and, and Burke goes to Ripley and says, we're, we're going back to the planet. We need you to come with us. And she goes, how much? I'm like, no! It doesn't matter how much. If you go, that's your ass and I have no sympathy for you. <laughs> Zombies come to you. That's what freaks me out. Is like, and I think that's very American of us. You know, we're, we're Americans. We're, we're isolationists. And that's part of our culture. And what that means is we do. We have this very, it's like, it's like our national religion, which is if you don't go mess with anybody, they shouldn't come mess with you. And that's just the way it is. That's why we're always shocked when somebody from overseas comes and messes with us. And I'm like that way. So when I see a zombie movie and I'm like, but wait a minute, I'm not a crazy teenager up at a summer camp. Like I didn't do anything to deserve this. <laughs> 
So that's one thing. Then another thing that scares me is the fact that zombies are global. Like, there's nowhere to go. You know, like I saw once when I was a kid in a time before you were born called the 1980s, there was like this movie Fright Night and Chris Sarandon is a vampire and he moves in next door and I'm just like, time to go. <laughs> no sympathy after that moment. I'm like, if you don't pick up and move, go. But in a zombie outbreak, there's nowhere to move. They're everywhere. I mean, in the original Dawn of the Dead, there's a scene, they're flying in the helicopter mm -hmm. and Reiniger looks down and he, and he says those words that to this day I'm like, ugh, he goes... Jesus, it's everywhere. And so a trauma was born. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and also being torn apart and eaten alive. Yeah. I just wanted to thank you because I had two fears, which are rotting corpses and being eaten alive, and you suddenly made me realize that there is something that can combine them and to completely terrify me at the same time. Well, I'm glad I could help you. Thank, thank you. you. Yes, Kevin from The Office. <laughs> as a writer, how did you decide the locations that you were going to pick for World War Z? Oh, as a writer, how did I decide the locations for World War Z? Well, I mean, like I said, for one thing, we're very isolationist, and I don't like that. You know, I think that... I think as Americans, we always get in trouble in our foreign policy decision. We get involved in wars, literally because we don't know what we're doing. You know... Uh, People in other countries think we're uh, imperialist and warlike. And whenever I'm overseas, I'm like, oh, oh, oh if we were. <laughs> no, the problem is we don't know what we're doing. We go, oh, my God, there's three kinds of Iraqistanis. Wow. <laughs> and this is the problem I've always had. I've lived overseas. I've worked overseas. So I wanted to, to make it a global book. And the reason I chose certain countries was I thought they could portray different aspects of the war. You know, like China. Uh, China's perfect because you have such an intense population that's crammed in. It's also the mother of all diseases. Like, plagues are always coming out of China. They always do. Because it's simple. You have so many people next to so many animals. Things are going to happen. Plus, you also have a government in China that doesn't acknowledge anything. Like, you couldn't have a zombie outbreak start in the U.S. because they'd be all over it. I mean, you know, maybe now they could, maybe like there'd be like the Z-baggers who'd be like, we're not going to pay for this, but. <laughs> I, I wrote it, um, I wrote it at a time also after SARS had just come out. Remember, there was this horrible disease, SARS, oh my God, came out, and the Chinese were like, no, it hasn't. <laughs> and we're like, yes, yes, we know, in China, there's this horrible disease called SARS. And they're like, no, there isn't. And then suddenly it appeared in Toronto, that hotbed of diseases that it is. And it's like, no, you wouldn't let the World Health Organization get in there and do anything, and therefore it spread, and somebody got on a plane, and suddenly it's in North America. And that sort of was the catalyst for that. So then I wanted to have other countries, uh, you know, India. I mean, nobody knows about India in this country. We all think India's like, wait, there's the girl from The Office and the guy from The Simpsons. Right, India, got it. And I think they're the people I talk to on the phone sometimes. So no, I wanted to introduce us to the world in a, in a way. I wanted people to talk about, and I wanted also to talk about the, the nuances of other countries. You know, the idea that China and Russia had a border conflict in the 60s that almost went nuclear. Nobody knows about that. Yeah. 
uh, I want to talk about the different cultures in India, Hindu and Muslim. And in the Middle East, the idea that Israel could have a civil war because you know, Israel is not a monolith, that there's different factions just like there's different factions here. Uh, so that's sort of what I was trying to get at, was to make it as global and as nuanced as I possibly could. So thank you. You're welcome. Oh, Zombie Research Society. Yeah. I am the vice president of the Zombie Research Society Mesa chapter. And um, we are just, we recognize your book as like an official um, survival guide, but we were wondering why you felt the need to include fictional elements such as the Selenium virus. Oh, oh, you're here to bust my balls. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, which is interesting because Matt Moak is actually a friend of mine, so I wouldn't assume that he would have let you do something like that to come here and start something, but all right, you're going to start something, I'm going to come and finish it. Um, what's your name? My name is Kailara. Hi, Kailara. Guess what? Um, what were you doing in 1999? Living. Yeah. Were you writing about zombies? I was. Because no one else had done it. Because while you were busy living, I was writing a book. And because of that book, you can come along and tell me that it sucks. See, that's what happens. So I'm sorry. You know what? Maybe my next project will be inventing a time machine where I can go back and take you with me to 1999, and I can sit you down at a desk and say, go for it. <laughs> so the answer is, why did I feel that need? Because I'm a really bad writer with nothing better to do. And because you know why? At that point, I didn't have a zombie research society to go to to ask these questions. You know who I had? Me. And sometimes me just ain't good enough, but it's the best I can do. Thank you for coming, everyone. Next. Mark you well if any of you are thinking of starting something. I think my question's harmless, but. <laughs> Why would you be intimidated? I thought I handled that in a very nice political way. What is your least favorite zombie film? Oh, least favorite zombie film? Oh, sorry, I have to get angry again. <laughs> I thought I was going to be all cool. Um, Return of the Living Dead. Oh, my God. That movie, if zombies were a race, that movie would be racist. <laughs> no, literally, it's... They're back from the grave and ready to party. That's what the, that was actually on the title. Come on. Like I said, I take zombies really seriously. They really scare the crap out of me. So that movie was so hokey, and it was just so campy, and it was just, it was such, it was so exploitive. It was such a minstrel show. And it felt like something that I was really scared of was set back like 20 years. And look, to this day, honestly, when you guys talk to people who don't know about zombies, what's the first thing they say? Brains. <laughs> it made no sense. It was poorly done. I mean, first of all, it wasn't even that funny. 
Shaun of the Dead was hella funny. And it was a real movie. I, I, don't, I have nothing against zombie comedies. For God's sake, Shaun of the Dead, not only was it a, a great zombie comedy, it was a great freaking comedy. It was super funny. It was deep. It was well-made. You cared about the characters. And that had some really serious stuff in it. So, yeah, oh, that movie. Oh, mm. Thank you so much. Uh, this is a shirt from my clothing company. It uh, has a zombie on it. Wait, the I Zombie own... Research Society? No, <laughs> Or uh, killing kittens' clothing. Here we go. Product placement. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you rock. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming down. Yes, ma'am. Hello. Um, I hope I'm not going to start something. Um, I'll be honest. I know very little from zombies. But I'm wondering if, um, if you'd ever thought of writing or if somebody's written a book from the point of view of the zombie where they're conscious of who they were oh, yeah. but they're still compelled no, I to think tear I, apart and eat their friends. I think th there have been. There, there are a couple, right? Shout out some titles for this, for this young lady. Monster Island and I Zombie. I actually, I haven't read them but I mean I've heard, I've heard these titles. I've heard Good stuff, zombie haiku. I mean, the thing is, for me personally, that doesn't do it for, for me. Not to say that that stuff is bad. I'm just saying, like, just it's my cup of tea because for me, what, another thing that scares me about zombies is the inhumanity of it. You know what I mean? Like, as far as I'm concerned, the less human they are, the scarier they are. Because I tend to look at them not even as predators. I look at them as, like, a plague. You know, it's like you get some horrible disease. Like, you get Ebola. You can't negotiate with it. It's like you have to kill it or it's going to kill you. That sort of no breathing room really scares me. Any situation like that really scares me. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, incidentally, the, the, the no breathing, the, you know, oh my God, they're all coming to get me. Part of that's just from being Jewish. Anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, miss. Hi. Hi, my name is Autumn. Um, Hi, Autumn. I got your book, um, Zombie Survival Guide, when I was 13 for my birthday. Oh, wow. I read it that first night. 13, Jesus. Paranoid as hell. Who gave you that at 13? My dad. He gives me a zombie oh, book that's every nice. year. I'm a huge zombie fan. Oh, you're really handsome too, by the way. My question is... <laughs> what, in like a John Cryer kind of way? Like Pretty in Pink? <laughs> Blaine? That's a major appliance. It's not a name. Anyway. Well, I can actually put a face to a name now. Thank you. And, um. I, I was actually no, I was 13 when I saw my first zombie movie. What was your favorite zombie movie? Well, my favorite is the original Dawn of the Dead. Favorite. No, and, and that's the thing, because look, like I said, I'm, I'm a big nerd, and I'm also, I'm not just a sci-fi nerd, I'm also like a big history nerd, like I, I tend to get into this kind of stuff. So, like, I like things with social commentary, like I like the old Star Trek, and like Next Generation, and the old Twilight Zones, and you know, I, I, I like it when somebody's trying to infuse something. Uh, because especially in the 60s, you know, the golden age of sci-fi, they couldn't talk about anything. So they had to put it all in science fiction. They had to have, you know, two guys come onto the Enterprise where one guy's black on one side, white on the other, and it's reversed, and they hate each other. You know, race relations. Oh, um, I, my, my actual question was, um, how did you pick the locations to write the recorded attacks? Oh, recorded attacks? Oh, yes. recorded attacks came from a zombie survival guide because I'm a big history nerd. So... For me, history, everyone thinks it's so darn boring and dry, and I like that stuff. And I thought, well, if I put zombies in it, it might be interesting. 
So, so that's one thing. And also back to um, Dawn of the Dead. If you haven't seen it, it's amazing because it's really it, it's really a scathing review of George Romero's generation. Like Romero's a big thinker. You know, he likes to tell human stories. He's a, what's also called a baby boomer. All right, there used to be a generation called the World War II generation, and like they grew up in the Great Depression and think times were really hard and they struggled, and then they had to like go off to war. Had it really tough. But then they came back and built this amazing country we're all enjoying. And then they had kids. <laughs> and the kids grew up in this sort of happy, fun time. And initially they were very idealistic, like, oh, don't trust anyone over 30, yeah. And then they turned 30, and then they said, oh my God, stuff, money, yeah! So Romero made that the theme of his movie, which is, hey, what's that? It's a shopping center, one of those new indoor malls. And it, I always think that that movie should be put in a box set with Easy Rider. It should be called The Baby Boomers, the beginning and the end of a dream. <laughs> Anything else? Huh? Anything else? Um, yeah. I love you. Just letting you know that. Thank you. I love me too. <laughs> Thank you. Why are you nervous? It's me. Wait, wait till like Boxleitner gets up here. Then you can be nervous. Because incidentally, I'm, you know, I get all nervous about people I really admire. Um, you know, when I try to meet them, I'm like, yeah, well, why am I nervous? I'm, I'm successful. And then I go meet him. I turn to that Chris Farley character in SNL. That's like, remember when um, in Tron? It's really embarrassing. Yes, sir. That's pretty much exactly how I'm feeling right now. But um, I full on agree with the inhumanity. Like you're saying, the whole saying of brain things. I'm not agreeing with that whatsoever. I kind of wanted to go a little bit off the zombie topic and clarify, and I hope I'm not wrong. Did you write Max Brooks' Monster Slayer? No, there's something called Max Brooks Monster Slayer. It's a movie, and like I was in an argument with somebody, and they were saying that you. And I didn't get paid for it. <laughs> Good lord! Right. No, that. First of all, how much of a dick would I have to be to cast myself? Well, I thought it was like ownership is how it is. It's Max no. Brooks, like his like ownership, Max Brooks. Oh, you mean like Max Brooks's Monster right. Slayer? Like right. when they? Oh, I, yeah, because sometimes people do that, you know, when when it's like Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket, right. as opposed to like. R. Crumb's full metal jacket? Like, what? No, no, I have nothing to do with it. I'm, guess what I'm going to be Googling tonight? Yeah, look, uh, I truthfully like the movie, so if your name's on it, it's a good oh, movie. Oh, well, uh, thank you. But uh, if, as I say, if Dawn of the Dead is your favorite movie, how did you feel about the remake? I thought the remake was great. I loved the remake. I thought it was a great movie. I don't think they needed to call it Dawn of the Dead. I was like, why are you calling it Dawn of the Dead? It has nothing to do with the other movie. Right. Like, in the original Dawn of the Dead, the shopping mall is the star of the movie. That's the main character. In, in the next one, it could have been anywhere. I mean, it was a great, oh my God, what a great movie. And I think that, see, I think that movie doesn't get enough credit for trying to bring zombies back. Right. You know, they do, um, oh my God, 28 Days Later, like, and rightfully so, and Shaun of the Dead. But for some reason, that remake set tends to fall through the cracks. But like, I don't know if you guys remember, when that movie came out, that was a big deal. I liked it, and it's just mostly like what you're saying, where it seems like you should do something about it. And that was one of the first movies, like when they make the cars at the end. I just thought it was great. Oh, and I actually, I it. talk about that a lot. I, I, I do these zombie self-defense lectures. That's a whole other story. I literally, I started doing these zombie self-defense lectures when my first book came out and I was panicked. I was like, oh my God, I, every, everyone thinks it's funny. I got to do something. So I started really doing these sort of straight-faced zombie self-defense lectures. Like, here's what you would do. Like, you know, take back the night, but take back the night from zombies. And one of the things I say is like, look, I loved, I loved Dawn of the Dead. I love when they turn the armored personnel carriers, you know, from airport shuttles. You could hear the music. Dun, 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 as they were... But I use that as an example. I say, look, unless you're like licensed mechanics, 
don't. Because I, I try to make that more social commentary. Like how I always say, how many people in a room is a licensed mechanic? Nobody raises their hand. How many people here work with their hand? Nobody raises their hand. Because one of the points I make in my books is like, we as a society have moved so far beyond self-reliance. We are so interconnected that all it takes is just one cut in the chain and everything falls apart. I mean, literally, there's an earthquake in Japan, but we're building the same cars in America, but we can't build the cars because one of the parts, just one, is built in Japan. So the whole production line comes to a stop. It's like, okay, we're very connected. Uh, so yeah, Dawn of the Dead, both, both of Thank them. Thank you. How are we doing on time? Um, we actually have time for three or four more. Okay, because I know we, you all have a lot to do. I don't mean that facetiously. There's a lot going. This is a huge convention. I mean, I'm, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, my only, my only issue. You work here, right? You're the the brochure. You really put Leonard Nimoy. You stuck him in with everybody else. He didn't get his own page. He didn't even get a bigger picture. Leonard Nimoy. I'm look. I'm like, where's Leonard? What? I literally had to find him. He's in the ends. I'm like, it's Leonard Nimoy. All right. Sorry. Nerd, nerd angry moment over. Go on. Hi. Um, I heard in the summer you were working with Deadliest Warriors to do vampires yes. versus zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, we did, uh, it was me and Steve Niles. Uh, you know, and Matt Moak from the Zombie Research Society. <laughs> it's so ironic because Matt Moak, he, um, he's actually, he's just uh, finished a book about zombies and it's really freaking good. He asked me to blurb it, so I literally just read it over the weekend and I wrote him a blurb and, because he's such a cool guy. Like, he's so, he's genuinely into it. I think this is the thing with zombies is people are just starting to cash in and people are just doing zombies because it's popular. But, like, Matt, Matt is the man. Matt is so into it. And I can't wait to talk to him. Um, <laughs> so it was me and Matt on one side and it was Steve Niles and a Scott, uh, Scott who looks like Christian Slater, that's all I'm going to say, on the vampire side. He wrote The Vampire Survival Guide. Uh, and it was vampires versus zombies. And Deadliest Warrior, they really got into it. Like, we did real tests of how they would behave with one another. We really talked about different strategies, different tactics, different psychologies of combat. And it was, I mean, I'm sorry, but other than, like, taking the Pegasus to attack two Cylon base stars at the same time, that was, I think that's pretty much my ultimate nerd fantasy. <laughs> My question was, who do you think would win, vampires or zombies? It's an excellent question. I think on a tactical level, one zombie versus one vampire, it's no competition. You know, if, if one little African soldier ant came up to me and I'd be like, gone. If a million came up to me, <laughs> I, think it, I think it all depends on the situation. You know, maybe, because, you know, they don't tell you. They have you record two different endings because they don't tell you until the end, because they still have to run the simulations. So basically, they have us go in a room by ourselves, and you do two recordings. And the first one, you're just like, oh yeah, of course we won. Oh my gosh, no competition. And then they have you record again, where you go, man, I can't believe that. That is bull. And then you, know, you sort of do, you do what everyone a Deadliest Warrior does if they lose. They go, well, in the real world, 
which is kind of lame because we're talking zombies and vampires. Um, <laughs> so we may be the first ones that if we actually do lose, uh, yeah, anyway. But I don't know. I mean, I think it all depends on the situation. Leak it? I don't know. What am I going to leak? Okay, go on YouTube and you'll see me doing this. I, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wrote, actually, I just wrote a short story called The Extinction Parade, which is on uh, dailybeast.com. It's free. Don't worry about it. Um, and it was, I actually wrote it. I finished it the day before we started shooting Deadliest Warrior. Because I was like, oh my God, I got to finish this before I get on there. And it is vampires versus zombies. And it's literally a zombie plague told from the point of view of vampires where vampires are like, oh, wait a minute. What are we going to eat? <laughs> it's kind of, I always call it, it's an inconvenient truth, but with vampires. <laughs> uh, next person. Thank you very much. Thank you. What's that outfit? Malcolm Reynolds. Nice. I knew that. <laughs> what type of zombie would you not want to, to come after you? Okay, what kind of cancer would you not want to get? Oh well, oh, well, like the runners or the slow walkers or the... I don't want any of them. Maybe the one, you know, you know which ones I would want to come after me? Because they would go, more brains. And I would go, oh, wait, here's a pen. Here's a better script. And then they would die. I mean, the fast versus slow, to me, is the difference between fear and anxiety, you know? And they're equally scary. And, and this is something that you, most of you Gentiles don't understand. Um, we Jews talk about this stuff a lot. Here's the, here's the difference. Fear is immediate, all right? Fear is in your face. Fear is a threat. Fear is, oh, my God, there's a tarantula. That's fear. She likes tarantulas. I, I know, I know, wrong, wrong convention to talk about that in. Okay, uh, how about this? Oh my God, I'm about to fall out of a plane without a parachute. That's fear. Oh my God. This is, now this is anxiety. I don't want to get on that plane. What if I fall out? Oh my God. Well, do you know you're going to fall out? I don't know. I don't know. Fear is the fast zombie. Oh my God, here it comes. Shoot it, shoot it, shoot it! Anxiety is the slow zombie. Do you hear them? I know they're around here. How much food we got? How much water we got? I know they're coming closer. Oh my God, I wish I believed in God. Um, fear and anxiety. Next person. Hi. In 1999, I was writing my master's thesis, comparing rhetorical strategies with slave narrative novels and slave narratives. So, simple question. Why an oral narrative and not a novel? Why an oral narrative and not a novel? For me, uh, my God, a smart question. Um, not to say the other ones weren't, but this is like, this is heavy stuff. <laughs> she has like a master's degree. Okay, master. Well, I did it because, it, for me, it was a way of telling as many stories as I could, but still making it human. Because I found uh, sometimes uh, if, you, if you read a novel that skips around too much, it, it, it feels disingenuous. It feels like you're trying too hard to cram it all in. 
Whereas with Studs Terkel's The Good War, that was perfect. Right. You know, so I re literally just used his template exactly. Okay. You know, some were like uh, some were big interviews, some were small interviews, just right. like in his stuff. And I'd also since then had read a lot of oral histories. Okay. So I took it from that point of view. Okay. Great. I loved it. It's my oh, favorite. Thank book. you very much. Thanks. How are we doing on time? What? About five minutes. Five minutes. No pressure. Hi, I, uh, I, w I was looking for the audiobook for a while after I heard about it uh, because I figured it's a series of interviews, so it'd be interesting to hear the people being interviewed. And uh, looked for a long time for an unabridged version, didn't find uh, one. No, no, there isn't one. There isn't yeah. one. Yeah, um, my library said there was one. It turned out to be abridged. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. it, let, me, let me just explain something. Um, I did, I did a, an audio version of World War Z because I'm really into audiobooks. Here's something you should know about me. Um, I grew up on audiobooks because I'm actually very dyslexic. And for those of you who don't know what that means, good for you because it really sucks. Uh, it's a learning disability. And, and school was really, really hard for me. And my mom, what she did, she's, like, she's the reason that I'm standing up here and that I'm not like a heroin addict, is because she took all my school books every year and took them to the Institute for the Blind and had them transcribed onto audiobooks. So I would listen to all my reading lists every year in high school. Yeah, I know. Hell of a mom, huh? So without, so that sort of became my way of learning. So I've always been into audiobooks since then. I love them. I listen to them all the time. Uh, and so when it came time to write World War Z, when it was done, I w and they said, well, we want to do an audiobook. I said, okay, please, don't just hire like one guy who can do a bunch of voices. Because they do that in audiobooks. And that's fine. But I was like, I also used to do cartoon voices. So I said, I have some contacts in that world. Let me reach out to some of these agents and see who I can get. So I did. And I wrote some letters to people. And, and I can't believe some people actually said yes. Now, the reason that we didn't do unabridged is because they have to pay people every time. You know what I mean? There's a reason they always have one guy with a bunch of voices. I don't know. Here they come. They are? Yes, they are, comrade. Oh, my goodness! It's because that one guy gets one check. As opposed to in that one where they had to pay all those, and it's really expensive for you know, a publishing house to do that. So that's why. That's why. I mean, I'd love, I've, you know, I'd love for them to do unabridged. Okay. Um, you actually also answered the other question I was going to ask so, oh. uh, about uh, whether you got to pick the people playing there. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I reached out to them. I mean, look, obviously I cheated with, like, Carl Reiner. Um, <laughs> he, for those of you who don't know, he's, like, my uncle, basically. Uh, and Alan Alda, too, is, like, a close family friend. But Al, even Alan Alda was like, you know, look, I love you like a son, but this is zombies. I have to read this first. <laughs> so I sent it to him, and he read, and he goes, wow, this is actually really good. I'd be honored to do it. Um, but people like Henry Rollins, I wrote to him, and Mark Hamill. Uh, and this is actually uh, something that my mother taught me, which is if you ever meet somebody famous and you want to compliment their work, try to find something that they did as a labor of love that isn't as popular as their other stuff and compliment them on that. Like my mom always said, if, when she met Kubrick, she didn't say, you know, I love 2001. She said, I loved Barry Lyndon. So I wrote him a letter, Mark Hamill. I didn't say, I love you, Luke Skywalker or even the Joker on Batman. I said, you were in a movie called The Big Red One. It was a World War II movie in which he goes through an amazing character arc at the end. And I wrote to him and said, if you could define the character of Todd Wainio in my book, it's that guy 20 years later talking about his experiences. And that, I think that's why he agreed to do it. Uh, so I hope that answers all your questions. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. Got one more? 
Um, I just found your book. Uh, never actually read it. Like, I couldn't afford it. But um, you can get them at libraries. I mean, there's still time. We still have libraries now. Our libraries. Uh, uh, they, they may get closed. Believe me. It's uh, they're redesigning our library. But um, I, I'm that guy who's always you know criticizing a movie, especially zombie movies. Really? I wouldn't know anything about yeah, that. Yeah. Well, um, really quick. Why is it in most movies the zombies don't actually eat anybody? And afterwards, can I take a photo with you? Sure. All right. Here's the deal. Why do they never actually eat anybody? Well, in some they do. Did you the original Dawn of the Dead? Those are real pig's guts they're using. That whoa. I mean, in other movies, they, they there's just so much gore you can show, which is not that big of a deal. I mean, this is America, so I mean, we don't we don't care about gore and violence. We care about boobies and bad words. Um, that's literally how we rate our movies. And afterwards, yeah, I'll be signing. After this is over, I'll be down at the Avatar booth. Um, and yeah, yeah, come on down, and, and we'll take a picture, and we'll, we'll find your shoes. Uh, he has no shoes. There, All right, one last, one last question. Yeah, the guy from the White Stripes. You come up. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I want to know, how on hand do you keep uh, anti-zombie weapons? Oh, okay. People ask me this all the time, like, do you have a zombie defense kit? Yeah, I do. It's called my earthquake survival kit. See, here's the thing about... Uh, here's why I think uh, the zombie survival guide has done well. And I think it's because I used real survival methods. I mean, the thing about a, a zombie outbreak is it's really just a natural disaster. And to survive a zombie outbreak, maybe like 2% of it is actually killing the zombies. The rest is things like purifying water and finding food to eat and keeping dry socks and keeping good hygiene and not worrying about disease and keeping your morale up. These are all things you have to do in a very real disaster. So, yeah, I mean, I based Zombie Survival Guide on reality, and, and the core of it was my own earthquake survival training. You know, people in New York after 9-11, we were all running around talking about becoming, like, first responders. Um, I grew up in L.A. We're all first responders. We have no government services in L.A. When something happens, you're totally on your own in L.A. So that was my childhood, was literally like earthquake drills and going through the earthquake kit and being like, oh, this is expired, and having an earthquake plan with the family. Like, well, we're, if you're at school, meet us at this building, or if you're at home, we go to this point in the house. So, I mean, all of that training made up the core of my life. And then in L.A., we also have fun stuff like floods and fires, and every now and then Rodney King gets his ass beat by the cops, and the whole country <laughs> rises up. Um, so... Zombie survival, honestly, is just disaster preparedness, but with zombies. We out of time? Everybody, listen, um, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Um, this is great. Thank you. Hi, folks. This is the Emperor. I'm here to remind you to listen to the Emperor's Court every Saturday from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern right here at vtwproductions.com. That's the Emperor's Court, your three-hour break from Internet porn.